This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. We are rolling down this train of turkey management. Um, we've got some great series coming up for you. Um, we've been talking about old field management here uh, recently and the lack of it on the landscape. We're, we're kind of continuing on that same progression. And I've got Kyle Hedges, Land and Legacy consultant, on the call and podcast with me today. Um, and we're excited to be able to discuss this with you because so many people ask and pose the question, what is brood room cover and how do you create it? So we're going to break that down for you today. Um, but before we do, before we jump into that, I just want to give a quick shout out to Onyx. Um, they are a partner who make this podcast very possible for us. And um, they definitely go into a a huge role into how we're managing laying out farms um, and the techniques within the app and encourage you guys, if you're not familiar with the app, um, you're a landowner, a hunter, or you're just looking to improve properties, farmer, uh, does not matter who you are. If you live an outdoor lifestyle on the land, become an elite member of OnX and use the code LEGACY20 at checkout to save you 20% off that elite yearly membership. All right, Mr. Kyle, you're there. How are you? Yep, doing good. I uh, actually, all this turkey talk is painful because it just makes you want turkey season to get here sooner. Yes. So it's all the social media and everybody talking turkeys. And as much as I like it, it drives me crazy because the I know. season's still a month of month and a half away. <clears throat> yeah, South Florida's open. Uh, a lot, a lot of birds being harvested down there. Um, kudos to them. But yes, I am jealous sitting up here in <laughs> Missouri and uh, um, just trying to knock out plans and reports and and stay on the road and be busy. But our time will come. Our time will come, Kyle. Yep. And we'll enjoy it when it's there. Or I'll rub it. in everybody else's face. Yeah, I'll be. I'll hopefully I'll be rubbing Kansas success in your yeah. face while you're waiting for Missouri. Right. That's right. That's right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I might. I might be able to get a. Uh, I might be able to sneak a uh, early April Texas trip in. I don't know. There you uh, go. Well, actually, you might. You might be able to as well. So yes. Um, that would be bueno, but um, I really want this to be a just a nice sweet not short, but just thorough podcast on what is brood room cover. So, um, so many people are asking the question, the wild turkey science podcast is doing a fantastic job of covering the importance of this. So we've interviewed them. Um, I'm not sure which the order in which this is all coming out, but, um, one of the big questions that we constantly get, they've been getting is what is brood room cover? Um, we've done podcasts in the past. I believe Frank and I did a podcast covering this topic um, a couple of years ago, um, but wanted to just, you know, fresh, right? While everyone's thinking about this, have another piece of content um, for you guys to be able to go back and forth and listen to. Um, but there's a lot of practices that can be done right now that would set you up for success when it comes to brood rearing success during um, this spring and summer 2023. And so um, 
basically what we're going to address in this podcast is what is brood rearing cover? What are the attributes of it? Why does it benefit or why is it essential for um, broods? And then probably how does it differ from nesting cover? And then how do you, most importantly, how do you create it? Like uh, what practices do you do um, to create this brood rearing cover? Um, one thing I want to know, I mean, I guess before diving in is, is this type of practice, it's honestly really easy to create this. It's not difficult. It's not like you have to, in every occasion, like hire a logger, hire this big excavator, do all this type of work. Like this is not hard to create. It's just not present on the landscape. And that's why um, we're seeing what we're seeing from turkey standpoint, or you guys have seen so much on the quail side of things um, from the loss of habitat and the loss of brood during cover. But this is not something that is difficult. It just has to be, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intentional practice. Um, so with that being said, Kyle, I'm going to turn it over to you and what you to describe for everyone listening, what is brood rearing cover? Well, specifically for turkeys, here's, there's a little twist to it. I'm, I'm going to just start right off the bat. Um, brood rearing cover is not all the same for all ground dwelling species. So the things that are the same, it's a diverse mix of herbaceous plants um dominated by broadleaf species i.e weeds call them whatever you want wildflowers weeds they can be perennial weeds annual weeds doesn't matter but the the bulk of the herbaceous plants needs to be weeds the higher the diversity the better because those weeds are going to attract the insects and we need a we need a diversity of insects for the the pulps, the chicks, whatever ground-dwelling bird we're talking about, in this case turkeys, they, they, want, they need to eat insects, invertebrates, um, spiders, whatever, um, caterpillars, all kinds of things. It's, um, they'll eat all summer pretty much. That's their, their entire diet is, uh, of young turkeys is based on these insects. So it is a forget about the overstory or lack thereof. It can be in, in an open field. It can be in the timber. All of that doesn't matter. It's, it's at ground level, mm-hmm. a, a diverse mix of herbaceous plants. Uh, if I had to per- put it in a percentage, I would probably want you know 80% of that being broadleaf species in an ideal situation. And in a perfect situation, I want 20 or more species, mm-hmm. 50 would be better. 75 species would be even better of those weeds. The one little caveat to all of this though, and we'll just jump right into it, is the height of all of that. For turkeys, the height becomes an issue. If it gets too tall, turkeys won't use it. If they can't see out of it, the mama, the hen's not going to want her brood in there. And that's where quail brood habitat and turkey brood habitat can differ quite a bit. As long as quail can move through something, this diverse mix, they don't care if it's nine feet tall over their head. As long as at ground level, they can move around. Uh, bare ground is another component I didn't specifically yes. mention. Yep. Space between the plants, between this diverse mix of plants is an important component to keep chicks dry and allow mobility. Turkeys, though, they can't have it 
five foot tall grass amongst this eight foot tall like it's not going to work they have to be able to see out of it so height is an important factor yeah absolutely and i think a lot of people misunderstand that aspect of the bare ground it's not just absolute bare absent of plants but but when you're looking top down it it can and should have some canopy coverage from the broadleaf component but the space underneath of that canopy of the broadleaf plants has aspects of bare ground with the individual stems of those plants and weeds allowing navigation for pulps to be able to move freely throughout essentially a hen to be able to stand over top of and her head and position eyesight everything be above that canopy of the broadleaf plants in an ideal situation but there's bare ground that pulps can get under and easily run you guys talk about it a lot with um, quail chicks um, specifically and then it's a completely different magnitude but um, but even pulps they are very small animals and have very fragile type legs and they can't navigate through and a bunch of fat. So this is, I think a lot of people miss, misidentified good quality brood rearing cover. They see just an older field and they, they don't understand the um, thatch is, a, is an enemy for pulse and um, for navigation purposes, um, for thermal regulation purposes and from a foraging purpose. So they see this older field and sure it could be still categorized as early successional plants, but it's the wrong composition of those plants in an early successional type stage. And so that percentage, yes, it's heavy broadleaf weeds, but man alive, it, that, 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 it, that makes a difference. And there's a, it, you have to have the right composition to make this thing work um, on the landscape. Uh often hear people make the comment about you know well i've got i added a couple food plots here for my bare ground right right well that if they got to walk out into a food plot and that's the only bare ground then then the food plot is the only brood habitat that you're attempting to make mm -hmm. so that that's not what we have in mind the bare ground is this interstitial space between each plant Yep. And just like quail chicks, turkey poults the first 14 days can't thermoregulate. So their, their body temperature is at the mercy of the air temperature. So if they get soaking wet in a dew or maybe a little light rain and they get wet and it's 50 degrees out, they die of hypothermia. So we, they have to be able to move along and not brush all the dew onto their feathers um, we all know that turkeys in a rain, lots of times we see turkeys out in open fields, right? They want to go, adult turkeys go out in an open field in the rain. You think, why are they standing out there? Because their, their feathers are built to shed water. That's why. Yep. The problem is poults have down and they're not, they don't have the ability to shed water yet. The, the down feathers don't do that. So um, they're not, they're not ready for that yet so they have to try to stay dry and they have to do that with bare ground yeah essentially those, those broadleaf plants that are canopied over top of them essentially act as an umbrella like they're the umbrella type think of that um you know dotted on the landscape lots of little umbrellas so some overhead structure um, protection from a visibility of avian predators but then also range and then they can move through underneath of all those sticks or stems of the umbrellas 
Um, but then the an another component on the on the flip side of um, let's say hypothermia, if they were to get wet because of those down feathers, they haven't produced that feather structure yet for flight. Those four, first 14 days are critical. They could also, if they're exposed with no shade, um, a lot of times down south and stuff, they're seeing where where it's too hot. So this, this medium temperature and, and ability to get in the shade, but still potentially have a little breeze to cool things off, um, all that is, is really important. So you don't get that um, accidentally on the landscape, essentially. You don't get this, you know, 80% broadleaf plants um, randomly occurring at the right structure, at the right density, the right thatch load. Um, you really need to be able to create it years and years and years ago, landscape, um, had a lot of disturbances, but man has changed that. And now man can revert back into intentionally applying certain techniques to produce that essential. And I want to keep basically restate that, that this is an essential aspect of producing turkeys um, on the landscape. So you have to be able to know how to produce it. Um, but, but real quickly, Kyle, if you will, how does what we just covered in regards to the brood rearing aspect, how does that differ from nesting cover? Because I feel like a lot of people can identify and see, oh, this is nesting cover, but miss a brood rearing or, you know, misclassify that. So what is the difference between the two? Well, um, I would argue, so brood rearing cover is a lot more specific in my opinion. Um, a lot for nesting turkeys can tolerate several different circumstances. We see where turkeys will nest in closed canopy timber. Um, those aren't ideal nests. That's not ideal nesting cover. Their nests are not hidden as well. They can nest in a CRP field that is dominated with grasses. Again, not ideal because when they hatch out of the nest, they got to go seek out somewhere that the chicks can actually, the poults can actually move around. Um, so in my opinion, nesting cover, um, typically turkeys like to nest somewhere with a little overhead cover, lots of times a down tree top, something like that. We'll see them edge feathering, locations like that, a mix of grass and forbs. They're still going to have to feed while they're incubating. They're going to get off and stretch their legs. So they need to be close to somewhere that they can go pick some bugs, be able to get a little bit of food. Um, so they may be near some of this. They could, they can nest in brood cover. That would be ideal. So when mm -hmm. the nest hatches out, the poults are right there and they can just start moving around. But the reality is lots of times nesting cover isn't our shortage, in my opinion. That's, that's not the limiting factor. They can, they can lay eggs in quite a few different locations than they actually do they they do disproportionately use old fields and things like that the yeah, we, we, right in one of the most recent uh podcasts that that um law 30 science has done and we basically we brought that up in our podcast series with them um but essentially 45 percent of the hens selected seven and a half percent of the landscape which was comprised of early successional vegetation and shrublands that was only present on seven and a half percent of the landscape, but 45% of the birds selected those areas to place their nest. So yes, like you just stated, there is selection for that if, if available, um, but turkey nests can be successful outside of that as well with the proper structure 
um, in, di in different areas. But if you have it, they're totally going to seek that out and utilize it. Here's a question along those lines. And I know I listened to that same podcast. And so the question is, are those that 7% of landscape that was early successional kind of scrubland, that would have also been the best brood rearing habitat, some of the brood rearing in that otherwise closed canopy system, if I recall from that part. Mm -hmm. So the question is, are turkeys choosing that because that's a preferred nest location? Or are they choosing to nest there because they already know that's the best brooding habitat and they want to deposit their nest somewhere where they don't have to pack their chicks a half a mile after they hatch to get them to brood habitat. That's a great question. Which came first, the, the poult or the egg, right? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. So there may be some strategy of turkeys already identifying. I, this is where I've got to raise my poult somewhere right around here. I don't have any choice, so I'm going to nest somewhere close to this. Yep. I would argue that brood habitat and nesting habitat can be very similar, one and the same, and all occupy the similar area if done correctly. Sure, 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 sure. Um, okay, so we've talked about some of the benefits of overhead protection, some thermal regulation, the aspect of foraging needs, and that attraction of insects uh, for young colts to be able to have a high protein diet. Um, that's all pretty common. Again, this is comprised of broadleaf plants specifically, um, or, or as a majority, and the aspect of bare ground, you brought in the height structure side of things. So um, we have an understanding of, of what it's going to look like, but I know that question out there is, okay, guys, I now know I need it. I know now that it's limited. I know kind of what it looks like, but legitimately, how do I create it? You said it was easy, but how do I create brood room cover? So um, there's a couple key practices that can be done um, to, to produce this type of habitat or ha vegetation on the landscape. Um, but Kyle, where, where would you start if you said, hey, I'm, it's 2023, late winter, spring in my area, I know I need it and I don't have much time. What are you doing? What's the low hanging fruit to be able to produce brood root and cover for this year? First thing I'm going to use is fire in almost any landscape, mm -hmm. whether it's wide open field, wide open grassland. Fire at least is going to reduce the thatch, create the bare ground. Because um, right off the bat, if it's open grassland, hasn't been burned in more than a year, it's not going to have enough bare ground here in the Midwest. So right off the bat, open grassland, not available for brood rearing unless I burn it. Um, an old field is going to be the, most likely the same way. It would depend on the density of shrubs and sprouts in that old field is how much bare ground was possibly available. And then, and then timber, it's either going to be closed canopy timber. That's not doing anything for brood rearing. So if I can remove that leaf litter, I might at least promote. It's not going to be near, it's not going to be perfect, not going to be textbook. But if I can remove that leaf litter, I can promote some, some herbaceous response that will attract bugs insects um so fire is going to be my number one tool in any regardless of even seeing the condition of these habitat types fire is going yeah. to be my go-to tool that's pretty much okay you want brood rearing cover when when can you burn right like 
what do you have that can burn? Um, is a question. You got leaves. You got you got grass removal. Um, but let's let's light on fire just so you have that aspect of bare ground, and then from there can kind of begin to manage um, that broadleaf or response. Um, then go into maybe a grass selective herbicide to thin out grass if you're just getting grass back early in the spring response. There's still time for promoting broadleaf plants after that fire. Um, or in a timbered situation, hopefully uh, you've got enough open canopy to get enough sunlight to respond after removing that leaf litter to promote those the vegetation that, that you're looking for. But again, most people have got inches and inches of deep, thick leaf litter. Get that gone, that's going to at least help some mobility um, and then potentially reset some of the existing vegetation that's in there and growing. Um, probably not ideal, but better than better than nothing in that closed canopy timber situation for sure. Um, okay, so we, we've got we've got fire as an initial boom thought. Okay, what what else what else do you got? Well, I'm gonna try to frame something here. Uh, uh, maybe this isn't where you wanted to go, but we're gonna go for a second this way. Uh, here in the Midwest, for sure, I would I would argue are two most limiting factors for brood habitat are either too much sunlight slash rain, so open situations mm -hmm. result in grass dominance. So too yeah. thick a grass and too tall, right? I mentioned the height yeah. aspect. So too much sun and rain, so wide open fields typically aren't ideal brood habitat. And then the reverse of that are, are other limiting factor to quality brood habitat in the Midwest is essentially no sunlight. So move into the timber and it's closed canopy timber. We're getting no sunlight to the ground. Agreed. So we've got to, we've got to change that formula. So we have to battle. We're not, we can, we got to, change how the light is penetrating we got to change the plant dominance whether it's trees whether it's grass we have to adjust somehow so in a perfect world in my opinion in the midwest we're always going to fight in wide open grasslands and i'm a grassland guy but we're always going to struggle with the right height i'm for turkey brood habitat mm -hmm. i'm not saying we walk away from open field management for turkey brood habitat but it takes a whole different approach. Chemicals, dormant season disking, whatever. Grass reduction has to become paramount so that we get just the weeds, mostly the weeds in those open fields. Uh, and most of those grow at the right height. Um, the easier, as far as not easier to initially create, but easier long-term management, in my opinion, of the right height of vegetation at the right density is in timbered or woodland situations. It's, it's thinning that timber. Longer term effort, initial effort to get there. It's not something if, you, if your farm right now is short on brood habitat, you're gonna struggle to go turn your timber into a perfect brood habitat woodland by yep. this summer. You're, you're kind of behind the eight ball, but you need to start at some point. Um, so I guess in my mind, we gotta first identify you know, what habitat type are you even dealing with? And then what options we can go from there? 
Yep. No, I, I, I don't disagree at all. Um, basically, my, my, where I was going to take this is going right into grass removal. So either um, that is a cool season grass removal, if you're dominated by cool season grasses in a lot of your open areas, um, or even like you stated in a grassland situation, um, those, those are, it's going to be too thick with warm season grasses and those should be set back. Um, so thinning grass loads is going to be essential in promoting proper brood ring cover. So um, there's a couple different, well, there's, there's honestly a lot of ways to, to do that, but let's kind of stay in the herbicide um, window here for a second. So from targeting a cool season grass, um, what's some of your, your, your favorite ways to be able to promote brood and cover if we're talking about, you know, again, spring 2023? Yeah. So if you're, you know, you're behind the curve right now, we got to jump into it. Uh, I would still, so I would burn that unit. I would burn that grassland unit. And if I got war, cool season grass coming back, we still have a window here. It's going to, it's going to start growing before the warm season stuff starts growing. Um, so if you have this mix of cool season that's crowding into your, your good stuff, um, as soon as you see that green up before the ground temperature gets up to 55 degrees, you can go out and just hit it, simply hit it with glyphosate. Um, so we still have time here in the Midwest to pull that off. Certainly have time north of us to pull that off. Southern mm -hmm. states might be getting a little late. So glyphosate, simple fix, follow up a burn, hit the green up on that cool season stuff, and you have a nice flush of weeds this summer. You have ideal brood habitat. If you miss that window and you're like, oh, but I got a, I got some warm season stuff coming on, you know, um, clethodim. So that there's some other chemical options. The plateau early plateau, on. Right, yep, that the, the warm season will shake some of that off and be like, ah, I'm good. Um, but the cool seasons will get whacked. So mm -hmm. there, there's some. Another option that we've just recently covered, so I don't, I want to be consistent with the message um, for those listening uh, weekly and whatnot. But we, we, we talked about the, let's say pros and cons of burning first, then spraying, but you address, right, the, the specific right concern of that soil temperature and that fluctuation of timing has to be perfect on that. Another option might be to, if you have a lot of thatch load, spray it initially with glyphosate, mow it, mow it first so it shortens the height of the thatch, let it green up, spray with glyphosate, then burn all that thatch off. So two ways to skin the cat. Essentially, yeah. at, the end of the, at the end of the day, um, it's kind of based on your timing of that. So um, you're still going to have the same result, right? Or a very, very similar result. Less grass, more forbs, bare ground. That's what we're shooting for. Absolutely. Yep. And yes, along the, you know, an alternative to that, then uh, move a, even away from chemical. You could do a burn now. Let's say we're talking warm season, not this cool season encroachment, but, mm -hmm. I, but too much warm season. It gets too tall. It's too rank. You could do a burn now and you could even follow up with some light disking Yes. of that and you're going to increase the forbs and and hurt some of that grass for this summer so uh, yes. another option typically we talk about dormant season disking but if you were following a burn you could disturb some of those root crowns with a light disking you could do it in strips Absolutely. 
um, blocks for turkeys. If the height is an issue, I wouldn't just want to do strips because there'll mm -hmm. still be strips too tall out in that field. So I would probably want to do blocks. Um, Absolutely. They could use or the whole field. Great point. And, and I think even sticking with the dormant season disking, um, because as I say, we got grass removal as technique two, um, dormant season disking, I'm going to say as technique number three. Um, I'm going to, let's say, go into your food plots, your, your margins of your food plots, your less productive corners and edges of your food plot, um, just a band around the food plot, um, areas that you may allow to go follow until your fall food plot planting. Um, go in there this spring and lightly dip. Um, we've covered, we're, we're not going to get into the soil improvement, this and that, disking good, disking bad, because in this scenario, disking is good. It is producing, again, that bare ground. And this is a light disking type scenario. We have talked multiple times on podcasts about soil health and this whole regime and realm. So before you email me, go listen to those other podcasts, please. Um, but go into the food plots. Those are open areas, right? Many spring food plots grow way too thick, way too dense with wheat, rye, oats coming back. Um, that's not uh, you know, valuable. It's not even good enough for strutting areas for many, for many areas or portions of the country. So um, that's way too dense then for pulse in the weeks to come. Go in there, allow that to be fallow, lightly disc right now. Again, it can be around the edges it can be portions corners what have you of your open areas but a dormant season disc right now will promote more broadleaf weedy plants to grow um in in those areas and produce that essential brood rearing cover you know this this would take more planning but it could still happen this spring uh, a third option so we're talking about you know whether it's burn and spray or spray and burn but but chemical is one way to control this grass issue. Mm -hmm. Disking is another way to do it. A third way is just to flat out be done with that. You take a whole 10 acre field of fescue or 20 or a brome or whatever. You know, we certainly have time. Wipe the whole thing out. Maybe it's solid switchgrass. Wipe the whole thing out. Yeah. Burn it, spray the regrowth and drill a wildflower planting a pollinator planting, whatever you want to call it. So there's actually an opportunity to even pull that off. That's a little more detailed. That's going to be a little more expensive, but that's going to get you get rid of the grass and just put a 95% broadleaf plant planting in there. And you can have brood cover for hopefully the next 20 years in that field. Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. That's that. That would be that would be huge and, and make the wife happy at the same time if she's looking out across a pollinator planting that's showy from early April all the way through um, until your frost in, in mid-October. Like that would be a wonderful ideal scenario, but provide consistently um, that ideal bare ground to broadleaf component. Um, and, and there are those mixes out there that have very heavy forbs very little grass structure in it um, to, to be able to achieve this. So um, yeah, another, another great option. Um, another technique that I, that I, that will produce this um, to, to some degree is some edge feathering. This is not like go by going and producing, or just like, let's say mechanically cutting 
um, the cutting is not producing the weed portion that we're, that we're, that's necessary here. That's going to create some structure, probably some shading, but what it's going to do is allow some more margin along the edges of some fields that basically what is timber now or the edge of that field will hopefully then be producing more broadleaf plants in a response to the added sunlight that's coming in from that field edge or food plot edge. So I don't want to confuse this with, oh, yeah, we're just going to create this structure and it's going to be, boom, that's that's brood room cover. No, it still has to be the aspect of bare ground in there. So ideally that edge feathering is paired with some disking and then you drop some structure out into that field edge or um, you've got a, a burn unit that burns the timber burn along to the edge and removes that leaf litter and then you can fell some of these additional trees. So Again, edge feathering, edge feathering is a, a, uh, an addition to um, more or less a practice, but having that um, kind of it is more of a long-term, let's say, solution for some brood ring cover, but it will be paired with another practice, either dormant season disking, and then once it's done, the application of fire in the years to come. Something important I want to mention on edge feathering. So one, if there's any cool season, if those trees are going to fall and there's any cool season along the edge of the field, it's paramount to spray that cool season out before you drop those trees. Whether you burn for it, whatever, you have to spray the cool season out because if you drop those treetops, they fall out under that cool season. All you've done, that cool season is going to keep growing. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. that treetops are partially shading it. So, but think of your description of it was perfect. Think of edge feathering as field borders, right? Like a lot of people have seen where the continuous CRP planted field borders, right? Just these narrow strips around a crop field of warm season grass and forbs. Well, think of edge feathering as is functioning as a brood rearing habitat field border because as you mentioned, you're increasing sunlight a little further into the woods, a little further into the timber. You're going to get this flush of, of weeds, and so it's ideal. And take it a step further, those turkeys about two weeks can start fluttering. And they'll not only can they pick bugs through there now when a coyote or bobcat or whoever comes rolling through, they can flutter up into the, the down treetops of this edge feather and, and it kind of acts as they can get a little height and escape a little bit. Um, and sometimes before I think, they I think fly that... all the way up to roost, they use some of those as roost sites, just eight, 10 foot off the ground. A thousand percent they do. And, and I've seen that in person. And I think that's an, another very missed, um, missed opportunity from a management side of things is before or as they are developing flight feathers and the ability to fly, short distances is going to be much more achievable than an overstory type tree where they're flying 60, 60 feet off the ground and into a canopy of trees. So having some mid-story trees or having some woodland shrubs or down tree structure for them to get up off the ground out of immediate danger um, in a quick short flight in that time frame is very valuable. Um, so that's where edge feathering um, in that brooding type life cycle definitely has its additional benefits um, that structure short flight and more let's say increased sunlight into these margins of field edges is man it, it's good but 
I think I think a lot of people don't even consider that flight aspect to be um, you know a necessary component of let's say just getting out of danger, getting out of harm's way for a turkey pole. You know that edge feathering attracts a different level of of prey species for turkeys too. So because there's some woody component mm. on the ground, sometimes there'll be um, little salamanders or lizards, all kinds of things that'll use that, that don't just use exclusively herbaceous yep. cover. And turkeys will eat all of that too. So, all of it. so we've, we've on the added, yeah, anything that moves, they're probably gonna eat. So you're adding more things that, that increase the diversity of possible food for them in those areas too. Totally, totally. Um, I've got, I've got one more, we kind of mentioned it, but it, it is kind of its own, let's say subset. Um, do, you ha do you have another option from producing brewing cover that we haven't talked about yet? No, go ahead. What do you I, got? I was going to just kind of, let's say, expound on the, the that component of, of uh, thinning the timber and yes. thinning the timber to the degree that you're allowing enough sunlight in to produce understory plants. But then most importantly, kind of like the edge feathering, it's paired with burning at an interval that is going to be promoting broadleaf plants and not just a successional stage of young forest. So maintaining an open per portion of canopy, I'm gonna say 40, 50, 60% or more canopy opening plus a high frequency um, or, a, or a short interval of time in between burning, whether it's an annual burn or, or a biannual burn in those specific units, that will produce more herbaceous plant response versus woody um, hardwood re type regeneration. Because it's very difficult in a specifically a hardwood stand um, because of that seed source to not revert back into hardwood stand if you don't have a high frequency of burn, uh, burning or herbicide application. So high frequency of burn rate plus that sunlight, or you go into a pine stand, uh, a 30, 40 basal area pine stand with high frequency of fire. Um, and, and let's say hopefully it hasn't had in, in recent years, a lot of residual um, herbicide usage to promote some of those broadleaf plants that we're talking about. In, in the understory of that pine stand, that's what will will also suffice as brood rearing cover. Um, and I, you mentioned this earlier, but this is this is more work. Um, but through the management and over time, this is this can be a, a very tremendous aspect of brood rearing cover. But you're not going to again accidentally create this without perpetual maintenance to it. Um, it's not going to happen the snap of a finger, but if you're trying to achieve things short-term and long-term, most properties have got an aspect of timber to them, recreationalized, have aspects of timber to them, and I would be doing this to my timber if I'm trying to produce more turkeys, or if I didn't have enough other open ground allotted to the production of brood-rearing habitat. That's, this is how I manage my timber. I will go as far to say that the timber acres is where we are going to win or lose this turkey battle, this decline. This has to happen with the timber right. acres because 
yes, on the front end, it's harder to get the canopy coverage down to where we need it. It takes more work, it takes more effort. But once we get it there, I'll argue it's easier to manage. We can do so with a fire, with periodic fire. And, and in most cases, if we do that consistently, that's it. It, mm -hmm. it maintains itself. Mm -hmm. If we're talking open CRP fields or just open grasslands in general, and we talked about examples earlier, so you can burn it and, okay, I got too much grass, warm season, cool season, I don't care what kind of grass, it's too much grass. It's going to get too tall, so I'm going to do a little strip disking or I'm going to do some herbicide treatment. Well, I can assure you in three years, it, you're back to, it's not just burn it every two or three years and it maintains itself for the next 20 years. That's not how it works. You're still going right. to be fighting. The grass load is going to come back after two or three years. That's just how it is. That stuff is super hardy. So you're going to be using chemicals again and again over time. I'm not saying don't do that. We should be doing all of these practices. But in the long run, the maintenance, this if you can get the, the woodland, the timber to, to the brood rearing habitat stage it needs to be, it's by far the easiest to maintain. Yes. So that's where we have to do it. That's where the battle's going to be won. I agree. I agree. It's uh it's it's not this isn't crazy hard techniques. Again, it's just gonna be I want that, I need that, identifying that as a landowner and then executing on it. And I think so many people have let's just say shifted goals and mindsets to dear, 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 dear. And, and a lot of times, sure, there's some overlap there. Um, a lot more if people would, would kind of open their eyes that they should be doing for deer. But the majority of the way people are managing recreational properties is, is not in this manner um, for, for deer. And they're letting succession go way too far where we're missing that component. So if you're trying to do the best of both worlds, have deer and turkey production on your place, broadleaf plants that are disturbed frequently is going to do that. Um, and guess what? At the end of the day, all the broadleaf plants are, are very large majority of them is also deer food. So we can create spring and summertime forages from a deer standpoint by, by accomplishing brood rearing cover um we just need to adjust the way that we are thinking about it so um yes you can have your cake and eat it too but it's not going to look like the management that you're continuing to do or have done in the past from a deer standpoint it will be different but it will be it will be better for both species and many people are honestly trying to promote both species but we cannot continue down the path that we have and expect different results. We have to produce this on the landscape. These are five easy ways to be able to do it, both short-term and long-term. And if you have it and you have turkeys around, they will utilize it. Um, and, and hopefully at the end of the day, you're gonna see success in the production of, um, or the recruitment of more young turkeys into adult populations going into the fall. That's the goal. We do that. That may we'll we'll be a whole different scenario. Hundred percent. Yeah, we've got to we've got to start moving this direction on a large scale. Um, 
because this turkey thing isn't going away. This decline's happening from here to Georgia. So yep. obviously not doing anything, which is mostly the problem, not actively Correct. managing the landscape has got us here. You mm-hmm. know, we're, we're not going to get rid of millions of acres of fescue that has that's raising beef cattle. And I'm not knocking cattle. We all know that I'm, sure. I'm pro-grazing. But we're not going to get real, rid of millions of acres of bahia grass in the south. That's here to stay. We're going to have to work on these other acres as where we can. Yes, I I agree completely. Kyle, I, I appreciate um, you jumping on here, the, the quick notice and the perfect execution of a podcast. So um, thank you for, for your time. And hopefully that this is going to be beneficial from um, people out there wondering, what is brood brewing cover? How do I create it? Well, here you go. Hopefully it answers just um, if it does answer your questions of that, then please do us a favor and share the podcast, get it out there because other people are wondering the exact same thing. So um, help us in that. And um, guys, we appreciate you listening. And we'll, we'll be back here next week with another um, heavy hitter of a podcast. But appreciate you listening and we'll catch you next yep. week.